I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. Welcome to Crash Course, a podcast about business, political, and social disruption, and what we can learn from it. I'm Tim O'Brien. Today's Crash Course, Elon and Zuck versus grown-up management. Silicon Valley is many things. It's a hub of revolutionary technological innovation. It's home to novel, creative approaches to managing businesses and production. It's a giant storehouse of wealth and startup riches stretching along a slender strip of land winding south from San Francisco to San Jose. It's also the centerpiece of a very specific kind of bro culture, a culture that has had a certain winner-take-all mojo over the years, but which may be running its course. That's not to say that the bro's holds will loosen. It just may be that as Silicon Valley matures, being a bro isn't everything that it's cracked up to be, at least when it comes to managing a mature and complex enterprise instead of, say, launching a world-beating company from scratch. To test this thesis, I present you with Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, founders of such landmark companies as Tesla, SpaceX, and Meta, aka Facebook. They are both innovators, admirable risk-takers, and bazillionaires. They've also struggled to evolve, to have early vaunted reputations as wise men, correspond with equally wise management, and wise decisions as the world around them changed and they recently considered fighting one another in a cage match. Really, they did. Joining me today to consider all of this is Kara Swisher. Kara has been watching Silicon Valley since, well, forever, as a journalist, convener of ideas, raconteur, and resident smarty. She is the host of the On With Kara Swisher and Pivot podcasts. That's a lot of podcasting. And she's an editor at large with New York Magazine. So, howdy, Kara. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for joining me today. No problem. So we may come out of this with different definitions, but can we develop a working definition together of Silicon Valley broness? <laughs> How would you define that? Well, it's not meant to be nice, I think, at this point. There's all kinds of cliches about groups of people, Hollywood types or producers or whatever, indie actors. And so it's just a type of person who populates Silicon Valley, who they sort of take on the patterns of the others who came before them. And so they pass it down from person to person. I guess if you had to broadly put it, and I don't think everyone fits into this, it's, you know, an arrogance, youth, frequently wrong, but never in doubt. Use the word like pivot and, you know, failure is just an opportunity for growth, that kind <laughs> of stuff. You know, just this sort of basically going through the world and breaking things and then thinking it's someone else's fault almost all the time. I mean, is it an unfair broad brush? Well, to sort of so talk about Bronis and Silicon Valley in one breath. People are always like, you know, lesbians have no sense of humor. I'm, I think I'm very funny. So, you know, I don't know. I just, I guess it, it, it does tend to fit, though. They do tend to dress alike. I think it, what happens is when you get in any culture, people tend to pattern match people. And so everyone suddenly was behaving like Mark Zuckerberg, right? But Mark Zuckerberg was behaving like people before him. So it's a little true, it, like a lot of things, it's got a lot of truth to it. And they often do tend to look alike and wear the same clothes and have the same attitudes. But they also contain multitudes, as Walt Whitman wrote. 
So have I picked well? Do you think that Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are emblematic of the culture of Bronis? Wow, in different ways. You know, both have changed rather significantly, although I would say, you know, on the surface, I guess Mark would be the tech bro of the kind of bro you think about, although personally, he's quite nice. He's quite a nice guy. From what I can understand, he's quite a good parent and he's a good husband. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot more there than people would think about him. At the same time, he kind of has people following him or trying to be like him, essentially, in that way, which is like push through, I'm right, even though people said I was wrong, that kind of thing. You know, right now he's got a bit of an obsession with athleticism. I assume it's because he wasn't (laughs) athletic when he was younger. It's quite aggressive. His athleticism is quite aggressive. Let me show you me doing all these hard athletic things or show off my body in some fashion, which I'm fine with, fine, whatever, he wants to be healthy. So, you know, you probably see a lot of people pattern match that. There's a lot of people. They did the same thing when everybody was fasting or whatever. And so, you know, he's, he <laughs> seems like it, although I think people would be surprised to find him to be a relatively thoughtful and nice person. I know people get angry when I say that because he's done a lot of damage. His company has done a lot of damage to society. I think so. And so it can be cross purposes with he, well, you may like him, but he's done terrible things. Well, I'm just pointing out that he's not obnoxious. I've never found him to be particularly obnoxious. But the bro phenomenon is, it's a relatively new thing, at least in the dimensions we're talking about it, right? I mean, Silicon Valley's always been a boys club. Right. But, and still largely is, but there's a world of difference between the days of Bill Hewlett and David Packard and Elon and Zuck, Sure, right? they just wore ties. They were just as arrogant. Like, I'm sorry, they were. If you go back and look at that, you know, Thomas Edison was kind of a jackass. So I feel like tech bros have always been somewhat of a jackass. You know, I, I don't know. There was definitely, I mean, I wrote a piece when I came to the Wall Street Journal in the 90s because I started to notice they all had to wear a certain kind of vest. If you were VCs, you had a different kind of vest, you know, a fleece vest, essentially, a Patagonia fleece vest. One of the things I wrote is all the the lies they tell themselves, which was one is that, you know, I don't like fancy things. They needed burrito places. And meanwhile, jump on the private plane two years later, right? That kind of stuff. And so they sort of had to sort of cosplay being a simple guy. I'm just like everybody else, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm not dressing well. I may wander around in Adidas. What are they called? Those things he wears. They're flip-flops, essentially. My son will kill me for not knowing what to call this. But you know, that kind of thing. I'm a simple guy. I don't need a lot. And then, of course, they all live lives of ridiculous and egregious privilege. But there has been a cultural shift, right? I mean, I am amused and I like the idea of thinking about Thomas Edison as a tech bro. Yes. <laughs> and maybe in his time, he was a tech bro for, you know, the way he rolled then. But I think there's sort of a bravado to it now and a strutting to it now that seems different from Edison. It seems different, different from Hewlett and Packard. Know. I think if you look back, really? he did a lot of manipulation of the press, a lot of stuntishness, that kind of stuff. It's not unlike Elon Musk, honestly. But that's a, like a use of power, which I know has been eternal. I guess. But I'm sort of, I just wonder if there's a cultural kind of a difference around the machismo of it and the kind of public strutting that it encompasses. I think they just... These are people who didn't get a lot of attention in their youth, and now they do because of money and power. And so it's very classic. It feels like a Janice Ian song, like they got picked last at basketball and they're taking it out on the rest of us for not picking them sooner. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you could boil it down to something like that. But a lot of them, tech has become cool and nerd has become cool. It's sort of the revenge of the nerds kind of scenario. 
that has happened and what comes with it is an enormous amount of money. Like that's really what gives them power, right? The money they have, not necessarily that they invented something, although that's also important. But, you know, when people become really rich, they become more and more certain they're correct. And very few people push back against that because it's all in their interests to get money from those people. You know, everyone's on their payroll. And so that tends to be like that. The way I sort of characterize it is sort of a juvenilization of people who are adults, men, adult men, typically white adult men. And so they juvenilize them by constantly licking them up and down, telling them they're smart, saying, oh, right again, sir, that kind of thing. And I think one of the things that also at the same time that manifests is that they feel like they're victims if they're criticized or given any feedback. They find that to be an attack. Like you're seeing that right now with Elon and ADL. It's their fault. You know, those, those naysayers. Those naysayers. Uh, well, in this case, he's pulling into tropes around Jews that are to blame, which is very dangerous. And yeah, they're naysayers and they're my enemy. He's got to always have an enemy. You know what I mean? Because you couldn't possibly have made a mistake. You know, that's something that's very hard for them to accept. So is that mindset that you're right and everyone else is wrong mm -hmm. and you're a strutting rooster, are those things necessary to be successful in Silicon Valley? No, not at all. There's a lot of very nice people. Not at all. Not even slightly. I can think of a dozen different people who are just lovely, Brian Chesky being one of them from Airbnb. Most of the adults are fine. You know, even Steve Jobs wasn't that much of an asshole, not compared to these guys. Like, you know what I mean? He could be arrogant. And once he learned, he turned out to be a pretty good manager. Oh, yeah. Steve oh, Jobs. absolutely. And those people stayed for 20 years, right? They didn't leave, the people who worked there. He could be very difficult. But, you know, he also, if you go back and listen to interviews, very thoughtful. He's very, I wouldn't say he was humble, but that's okay. That's fine. He, he was a game changer. But he wasn't just petty and juvenile. He definitely wasn't juvenile. He also had to kind of go through trial by fire, right? He got kicked out of the company he built. Yeah, I just feel like he was an adult. And sort of learned from his lessons and then came back and acted like I an use adult. the term adult. Like, he was an adult. Like, there's a lot of adults. Tim Cook is an adult. Reed Hastings is an adult. Reed Hoffman is an adult. You know, meaning that they just, they don't get into peaks if you say, hey, I have a problem with this. Like, when I was doing an interview with Elon and I was questioned, he was, you know, just forcing his employees back into the office into the factory before anybody knew anything about COVID. You could have an argument about whether it or not, but nobody knew and he had a certainty. I think he said something like, there'll be like zero COVID deaths or whatever or something. He didn't know. I've read all the studies. I, I couldn't believe it. It was completely ignorant, everything ignorant. he said yeah, about of course, COVID but he read all came the studies. from a place of deep, deep ignorance. And I was like, we don't know. We don't know. Let's assume lack of safety until we have better information. Like, why not? And, you know, he threatened to walk off the show, like, I'm going to leave. I'm like, fine. Like, who does that? But like my two-year-old, my two-year-old doesn't even behave like that, right? It's like, who does that that's an adult? I'm going to leave. Ha, la, la. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's childish. It's childish. And throw my toys out of whatever. the Whatever. It's like, you know, we're someone who posts memes of boobs. Like, he always puts a boob thing up. I'm like, you're 52 fucking years old. <laughs> really? You know, and all the young men, are, ooh, cool. Enough with the, cool enough with the boobs, boob memes. Cool boobs. Like, oh, come on. Really, you're 52. It moves in on pathetic. And poop emojis. Don't forget the poop emojis. Yeah, whatever, whatever. They're 52. It's an ecosystem too, right? Isn't the venture capital community and the media part of the development of broness? Yeah, it depends. Like the venture capitalists, I always thought of them as, you know, enabling parents. Like, oh, yes, you're a genius. Their interests were money. They wanted to make money. So anything they could say to get these guys to do what they wanted was what they would do. So more sugar? Sure. 
You won't get diabetes. Sure, more. I love you. You're the best. And of course, they would turn on them in a second if they needed to. But yeah, I think the culture was very much, we support our founders. And in fact, it was just bad parenting is the way I looked at it. Bad parenting. And on the note of bad parenting, I'm going to take a quick break to hear from a sponsor, Karen, then we'll come right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. I'm talking with Silicon Valley whisperer Kara Swisher about tech bros and Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Kara, let's talk about each of these guys individually. Zuck founds Facebook, famously in his Harvard dorm room in 2004. So if you look back on his path to an IPO and 3 billion users and becoming the most vibrant global social media platform, the Apollo of the social media landscape, is there anything different about the path that he took to those various landing pads as an entrepreneur and then a businessman? You know, he was more driven. He, he reminded me a great deal of Bill Gates, you know, very driven young man at all times and very serious. At the time, if you may not recall, MySpace was the cat's pajamas for everybody, right? Everybody loved MySpace. They were cool and handsome. And remember Friendster? Yeah, yeah, although that was never cool. <laughs> no. But MySpace and Chris, a guy who ran it, and Tom were cool. They were cool. They were handsome, cool men. And so that was where everybody was, and Mark was just plugging away. And the Murdochs were smart for having, remember, bought into MySpace. They did, but they think on. they lost money at it. I believe they did. They ultimately did. But remember at the time? Yeah, they were. It was a trendy thing. That that makes me think they're not smart. They think they were stupid. But Mark was plugging away with the utilitarian thing that I, he kept calling it a utility to me. And you can imagine as a reporter, oh, a utility, how fascinating, you know? (laughs) And so I thought that was really smart, actually, because he was just sort of, I'm useful, I'm useful, I'm useful. And I used to call him a young fogey. Like he was sort of an old person in a young person's body. And so he was quite serious and very like intent and aggressive, a lot like young Bill Gates, I think, in a lot of ways. And then he grows Facebook sort of in two ways, through this steamroller of an ad business and then through acquisitions. He buys Instagram, WhatsApp as time goes on. And then organic growth sort of stalls out on him. And he has to actually try to do something with the company other than ride the wave. And the jury's still out as to whether or not he's up to that, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that happens with a lot of people. Like Microsoft, you remember they went into media, they had MSN, they had cable, they had all kinds of little alleyways they went down, none of which worked out, except he sold software. General Electric in a completely different industry. Everybody does that. Like, you know, even the Google guys, they don't like search business, even though it pays for everything, right? I think we'll do elevators up the streets of San Francisco. What about a barge where we, you know, we live or whatever? And now, you know, these people making their town up in Solano County, you know, they get bored with what brought them there and they want to do something else. And I think All these things have a life cycle, right? People will use Facebook until something else better comes along or they don't like it anymore. They get bored with it. There's a limit to growth of it. And so you've got to be really prescient. You know, the only company that really does this over and over again has been Apple, right, has continued to evolve 
relatively successfully, although they've had, you know, if you don't remember Ping, I do, it was their social network. They tried a whole bunch of things that didn't work. And they're starting to hit some plateaus now. <laughs> Everyone says with that. Their remember when line. Steve Jobs died? It's over. It was not over. It's worth <laughs> 10 times the amount when he was living. And they brought in a very competent, boring, skilled manager in Tim Cook. Not a bro. Yeah, and grew it. Didn't just manage it, grew it. You know, the Internet's littered with companies that were popular, and I've forgotten the names of a lot of them, right, that were super popular and then weren't. And these are consumer products in many ways, and so that's normal and natural for people to move on from what they're doing. And So Facebook certainly has had the longest run of successful utility for people who use it and smartly bought Instagram, which still remains really interesting. I think what's hard is, just like with Google, is everything else pales in comparison to their original product. And very few companies can change course in that regard. So how do you see Mark Zuckerberg's management evolving over that time from those heady days when Facebook was just a self-generating piggy bank to now when he's trying to find new businesses, he churns through Sheryl Sandberg after a period well, of time. Oh, it was a long time. You know, he, it was 10, 15 yeah. years. That wasn't a short period. I think Mark has an admirable consistency of the managers there. They were there 10, 12 years, which I think was unusual to stay so, with someone. Don't you think the shift from Sheryl Sandberg to Nick Clegg is meaningful in terms of... Well, that's just, it's a late stage company, right? Late stage company for internet companies, which have a very short, much shorter life cycle. You know, Cheryl was critically important. Mark had a chaotic management style for a long time because he was young and never had run. He's actually quite good as a manager. And she was the adult in the room. Well, that I hate that expression, but yeah, <laughs> sure. I think, you know, she just knew how to run a business, right? With stuff he wasn't interested in. He was interested in the products. She was interested in business. And she had come from Google where she ran the most boring part of Google that did really well, which is this ad serving business. And she really should get a lot of the credit for, you know, jacking the ad business as high as they did. And they had a great partnership for a very long time. And I just think it evolves over time. And again, as these people get rich, as they get wealthier, they get bored with what brung them. They don't like, oh, we're in the wire hanger business. I'd rather own a sports team. Right. You know what I mean? Like nobody wants to be <laughs> what they were. And so I think he evolved. And then, of course, he got hit with all the accusations around misinformation and Russian involvement and meddlesomeness and, and polarization. And being a platform for division and hate and That's political right. polarization. And so what does he do? He renames the company going down another alley, which is the metaverse, which I think has proved rather expensive and quite premature. Well, and also sort of impose that on an entire company because it was his idea and he thought it was the way to go. Yes. Well, because he controls the company. He can't be fired. Right. But I, this is also, to me, another sort of signal moment in whether or not young Mark can evolve into a good manager, like the embrace of Meta as both an idea and a name and a direction for the company yeah. that he sort of jams down well, on investors and he was trying to employees. pretend he wasn't, you know, no, no, I'm not Genghis Khan. I'm really Phil Jackson. I don't know, whatever. He just wanted to change his name. He didn't want to be one thing, you know, ignore that over there. I'm over here doing this fabulous future stuff. He should have said AI really is what he should have said, but he said metaverse instead. And you know, at the time, we were like, no, this is so early. This is so wrong. But it's his party. He's He controls the company. So that's the way it is. So let's focus on Elon for a second. He launches PayPal, famously with Peter No, he Thiel did not and... launch PayPal. No, that's not true. Well, it was through a merger with X.com and no, the they other were No, they were right? competitors. PayPal existed. They were rivals. They didn't like each other, that gang, Elon's gang and the other gang. Well, they, he had X and the other, I can't remember the other company that merged PayPal. to form PayPal. I think it was PayPal, as I recall. It doesn't matter. 
were probably bored people. Whatever. All they, this, in any case, they merged them because they were competitors. They didn't want to compete. That really was right. it. They were doing the so, same. So PayPal comes into yeah, being. Yeah, and they all got together and they had a lot of problems with each other. And Elon got you know jammed out of PayPal in a lot of ways. And they all made money. But he they gets sold. some of the spoils, though, when they sell it to eBay, right? I mean, that's, that was a very lucky thing for all of them. Uh, especially for Elon, mm-hmm. in that it gave him a, a wad of cash that he uses to seed SpaceX and to take a stake in Tesla all around the same period Yeah, of time. and it was unusual because all of them went off and did stupid things. And Elon, he really attracted my notice because he wasn't doing dumb things. I was like, huh, you know, rockets, cars? Oh, cool. You know what I mean? It was very ambitious and really interesting. And AI, he was very early. He's one of the first people who ever talked about AI with me was Elon Musk, especially the dangers of AI. And so, yeah, he was very serious. Like another serious-minded person who was doing substantive things rather than, oh, I think I'll become a VC and fund a dating service and, you know, whatever. <laughs> they were all so stupid. You were like, oh, I can't talk to you. But Elon was always interesting. Well, and, and, you know, he single-handedly gets the U.S. with the government's help, notably with massive government subsidies, both at SpaceX and Tesla in different ways. He got ways. a loan. It would have gone out of business without government help. And he got government contracts from NASA at SpaceX. Yeah, he has them. He continues to. He has them. And it was sort of the foundation of his viability was getting those contracts. 100%. He's the biggest government handout person I know. And a good success. Yay. He literally is the ad for why government's good. (laughs) It's corporate welfare. But it's good corporate welfare. You know, it created a a world-beating commercial space missile enterprise and rocket enterprise and a transformative EV company. So kudos to him. Those Mm -hmm. aren't small things. No, they're not. Makes him the world's wealthiest man. And then he decides, as I think he becomes increasingly erratic, he decides to buy Twitter for $44 billion. Right, he did. And that's hardly the sign of someone who is a shrewd investor. Well, we'll see, won't we? Maybe he'll turn it around. It was never a very good business. Like, let's start with it was a terrible business all of its life since it was founded. And it was badly managed, except for maybe Dick Costlow had a bit of a bright spot, but it never reached the potential everybody thought it was. You know, everyone thought it was Facebook, it too. It was never a Facebook in any scope. Never made money. The, user the stock base. never moved off of 19 It was always at $19, I recall. But it was badly managed. So it wasn't necessarily a company you'd pay $44 billion. No, I think it was, you know, it had a high there during the pandemic, I think. You know, who knows why stock goes up or down. But, you know, it definitely, if you zeroed it out over the history of it, you wouldn't have paid that. No, you wouldn't have paid for that. But I thought he would do a good job. I needed someone like him to come in and be king of the place. Rather than did you the, really think he'd do a good job when he first took? A I did and, because it was a goat rodeo over there, and it was all these CEOs that came in and out, and all these feelings. It was the most emotional company you've ever dealt with. You're sort of like, are you kidding me with all your various and sundry dramas between each other? You know, all the founders didn't like this founder. You know, it was really exhausting to cover them. And again, it never met its potential of its influence. It had a lot of influence, but not a lot of business, and very difficult issues around same thing, polarization. They just didn't have the resources that Facebook did. And so, you know, anyone could come in and do something with it. If they were the right person. Right. And he certainly had the means and the motivation. He loved the product. It obviously spoke to him in some deep way, personally and emotionally. And so I thought- but no experience in none. media. And I do think managing a media company requires a certain kind of- Well, they of try to pretend it's not a Understanding of audience. They try but to, it is. I know, it, of course it is, but they pretend it is. And it's a communications company- I always thought it was a media company and thought that was the direction it should go in. And I was working with Twitter to actually monetize spaces and all this stuff. And then he comes in and 
I thought, okay, all right. We exchanged a bunch of emails about it. I was like, all right, you got the money, you got the attention. You could bring in a smart media executive and really do something finally, like one person making a decision. Because again, you know, I used to jokingly, because I'm a lesbian, I can say that it was like a lesbian collective, like no decisions were made ever. Like everyone with feelings were hurt all the time. That's a cliche of lesbians, not true. But it was really, there was a, a small handful of people who could have brought order to the place. Instead, it's his personality disorders writ large, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe we part ways on that one because I thought in the very beginning he was the worst sort of person to take Twitter over because he lacked the experience and insight for that particular company. Yeah, I and thought he'd he hired COVID, someone. I thought, yes, the COVID stuff was strange. The COVID denier, you know, his I'm a free speech absolutist, but meanwhile, he's crushing free speech within his own company and he's going after people who criticize him. Yeah, that hypocritical really tech suggest... people. When has that ever happened? Anyway. Yeah, but it doesn't suggest you're the best guy to run a media company. All I was saying is one person making the decisions. I thought he would hire a very smart media executive and get out of the way, but he didn't because this is about him and his personality, right? His larger, you know, emotional well-being, so to speak. Did all of that sort of erratic behavior with him and, you know, SEC investigates him for securities fraud, for saying the Saudis are going to help him take Tesla private. That seems to have definitely all been built on smoke. Did any of that surprise you over the arc of time from when you first met him to who he is now? Yes and no. Like you saw it there. You know, he had a juvenile interest in memes and especially boob memes. And I had teenage boys at the time. I'm like, oh, look, it's another one. You know, so I had recognized the pattern. You know, he had a lot of juvenilia, like very much sort of like stupid jokes. You know, the COVID thing was the first time I was like, huh, that's weird. You know, that's weird. And then the stuff at the factories around racism and stuff like that started to pop up. You know, he wasn't that different from other ones. And actually, he was somewhat, I would say, delightful to talk to because he was very odd and interesting. And he had, you know, again, he was the first person who talked about the dangers of AI. This was a decade and a half ago, right? A long time ago. And nobody was talking about that. They were all talking about whatever the latest stupid trend was for the day. And he wasn't. He was very prescient about a lot of stuff, including cars and space and everything else. And so you'd see flashes of it. I always say like about 10% of his personality was really distasteful, I guess. And the rest was really interesting. And with all the caveats you have about these egomaniacal, arrogant, narcissistic founders. And then something happened. Something turned. It's like milk spoiled. Everything became about victimization. He felt under siege. I know it sounds dumb. Do you think that's a different turn than the turn Zuckerberg took? I don't think Zuckerberg's changed personally. No, I don't. I think he's matured and he's developed as a man, I think. And in terms of Elon, he went backwards. He's like Benjamin Button, you know, except a jerk, a jerkish Benjamin Button. And so those parts of his personality, as he got to be the richest man in the world, and especially with enablers or the wrong people around him, started to get really ugly. Just these people, all of whom were paid by him. And, you know, this idea of all these fans, like licking him up and down, it, it's affected his personality, you know, and including his family relationships with his now daughter. You know, if you talk to people around him and they'll only talk off the record because they're terrified of getting off the gravy train. They are worried. They are worried about that. But, you know, they all allow it to happen because he's the center. Of, he's the son of that particular universe and very powerful. It's so classic, you know, it's classic with royalty. It's, you know, this is not a new story. It's how power functions. Well, some power, but like 
kings, they get a little nutty. You know what I mean? Like it just happens when nobody says, hey, just a second. And anyone who said, hey, just a second, he's thrown out of the kingdom, myself included. You know, whatever. I don't care. I have plenty of friends. I'm going to take another break, Kara, and then we'll come right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. I'm back with Kara Swisher. We're talking about tech bros and tech brodom. I asked you this earlier, and I want to come back to it, the degree to which Zuckerberg and Musk aren't that much different from their compatriots in Silicon Valley. I think of Jack Dorsey as sort of a junior mint version of this. You know, somehow they let him be the CEO of two companies simultaneously. Yeah, that's what they do. He wasn't really good at being the CEO of one company, much less two, but he got away with it. You don't see many women or executives of color anywhere in the U.S. being granted those sorts of opportunities and second chances. And then, you know, I do think of Tim Cook as a sort of a polar opposite of both of these guys. And I think there's a lesson in that about how you manage the trajectory of successful companies, that maybe you need these crazy geniuses who are completely self-assured for a certain part of the company's trajectory, but then the grown-ups have to come in and put their hands on the steering wheel and move it along. Do you agree with that, or do you think that's too simplistic? I do think it's too simplistic, because I think Tim was there from the beginning of the recovery of Apple, right? So it wasn't like he just was brought in to deal with difficult Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was a great manager, right? You know what I mean? Like, And so was Jeff Bezos. Lots of mistakes made by both of them. And in fact, Steve Jobs knew Tim Cook was somebody he needed to have there right. as much There's as he a lot needed of Johnny choices. Yeah, there were a lot of choices at that company, but he picked the one who... I think, you know, typically I remember when he died, everyone was like, oh, not this guy, this boring guy, this guy, this guy. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like he's been running what's been important to that company and creativity. There's a lot of creative people there. So this myth of the one God who can solve everything, I think, is not a new and You remember Lee Iacocca, only he could do it. It's sort of part of the corporate mentality. Henry Ford. Henry Ford. Well, again, but in that case, yes, right? Until no. Uh, speaking, someone who had really distasteful opinions about Jewish people, et cetera. Think about that today. I just, they, the Twitter was around for a lot of these people. Oh, yeah, yeah. There would have been reputations in flames yeah. much earlier. Yeah, maybe. But, no, but now it doesn't matter. You can be shameless. You know, and I think Donald Trump introduced that. You can be shameless and you actually do better. And it's celebrated, in fact, in certain cases. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I always love when they all do this. Fight the man. I'm like, you are the fucking man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's my favorite. I'm like, I'm sorry. But, you know, revolutions like... Fight yourself, my friend. The, in, in Rome, the people who helped overthrow the Republic were some of its nobles, right? The Cracky Brothers, I think that's their names. You know, that often happens, you know, or Donald Trump. I'm with you, people of coal mining country. I'm like, are you kidding me? You live in a golden palace in New York City and Manhattan. But that's okay. It, it works for people, right? I'm your friend. And so you have to create this very P.T. Barnum-like structure around you where you have to overstate your already myriad of accomplishments in order to engender more love and more attention and everything else. And one of the things I like about Mark is I don't think, except for his 
kickboxing, which is fine. You know, he doesn't really seek attention. I think he's kind of proud of it, I guess. But I don't feel irritated by that. And I'm not particularly irritated by Jeff Bezos putting up chest shots of himself. You look good, Jeff. Okay. You should be happy with just that. You look good. But I'm okay. I'm like, okay, he's proud of his nice physique now because he used to be kind of wimpy looking. And those are fine, but Elon needs attention every day. So he has to do, you know, another stunt that's even crazier. You feel like you're in the middle of network, the movie network, right? What am I going to do today? Oh, let's attack the Jews. Oh, today, trans people. Let's not forget I have a trans child. And so it's even more heinous to do that. Today, let's attack, you know, Paul Pelosi saying he's part of a gay love triangle with no proof whatsoever. And too bad if people get hurt or today it's, you know, Biden's fault. Today it's reporters fault, like whoever, like or say something crazy and everybody pays attention to you. It's really sad when you think about it, because there are accomplishments here, real accomplishments. World changing accomplishments on both of their sides. But they're not as big as they think they are. But they're big, like they're big, but they're not that big. Elon is 13 years older than Zuckerberg, yet he's far more of a juvenile delinquent, in my humble estimation. And it sort of surprised me when Zuckerberg took the bait recently. I did, too. I did, too. I'll 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 do a cage match with you. We can fight one another. I think he's really enthusiastic about it. I do think he really loves it. It's given him, you know, just like the pickleball. It's like pickleball. (laughs) I have friends who've now become really pickleball fanatics, and you're like, calm the fuck down. It's just a game. But they love it. It changed their lives, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a little difference. again. Let's go play pickleball on Friday night as to let's beat the hell out of each other in a cage in a national form. I think there's sort of a qualitative... It's a a sport. It's something. Look, he feels better. I don't look at... You know what? It It is not a sport. Let's rewind. I think the difference between them... It is not a sport. I'd say the difference between them is parenting. I know know I've come back to it, but his parents are very nice. I would not say that of Elon's parents. I think he had a very troubled childhood. I think a lot of that's going to come out in this book by Walter Isaacson. That said, not everyone who has troubled childhoods turns out to be such an asshole, right? You don't have to become an asshole if you have a troubled childhood. But I do think there is a, a difference in upbringing with those two in a lot of ways. But I do want to come back for one last second on the cage match because it's stupid. It to me is it's stupid, but it's also emblematic. It, it is emblematic of the sort of excess and machismo and juvenile delinquency that pervades Silicon Valley, despite its successes and riches. It was so and, ridiculous, et cetera, it was et cetera. Ridiculous. It was. I, I actually wrote Mark. I said, please, look, I know you think we haven't gotten along for a long time because he thinks I'm too critical of the company, which, okay, whatever. And we we had that disastrous interview where he sweat and stuff, so I can see why he <laughs> avoids me. But don't do this. You have daughters. You seem to be a pretty decent parent and a very decent husband. What are you doing? Like, I'm glad you like your sport, but this is ridiculous fucking spectacle. And if you want to raise money, just give part of your giant, ridiculous, obscene fortune to someone. Like, you don't need to do this. And so, you know... So did he send you a selfie of his bicep? No, he didn't How did respond. he respond? He didn't respond. But can you imagine Gates and Jobs fighting? Let's have a fight. Like, no, they just... What they did is they did an interview with me and Walt Mossberg. That was great. That was amazing. That was adult, right? You know, they had their problems. And it was sort of epic because it was, it was epic. A coming together. That's right. right. It was epic. They put aside their differences and, and realized... They, the they realized they were together as icons of the modern computer age. Together. They really were. The two just like John Adams and Tuppence Jefferson. They belong together. And as I recall in that interview, Jobs pointed out that Microsoft gave $100 million to Apple when it was flailing. And he poked at Gates a bit too, but it was fine. It was fine. But at the end, it was, he understood because he's an adult and so is Bill Gates, you know, and 
just imagine them fighting. Oh, come on. I can't imagine Zuckerberg and Musk on a stage together. And this gets back to my early point. I can see Hewlett and Packard on a stage together. I could see Harvey Firestone and Thomas Edison on a stage together. I agree. I can't imagine Zuckerberg and Musk on a stage together. And in fact, all I'm thinking about is that they're jumping around on pogo sticks challenging each other to a cage match. Well, it was really Musk that was doing it, right? You know, and then he continued it with his weird, I'll show up at your house, which is creepy, just fucking creepy. <laughs> but it was all just, look at me, look at me. Someone please, for the love of God, look at me because I still don't have enough attention. You know, and of course it happened after Zuckerberg launched Threads, which was a challenge to Twitter, which is now called X. Yeah, in the case of Zuckerberg, I don't think he has a bottomless well of need the way Musk does. I do think he has a satisfying personal life. So... I just was surprised he was dragged into it. And I don't know why he was. I guess he's so proud of what he's done with himself that he's doing it. But, you know, I think suddenly the penny dropped. Oh, wait, maybe this guy isn't serious, right? Maybe he's making fun of a sport I like, or you don't call it a sport, whatever, an endeavor I like. And so I just was surprised. I'm so glad he's not doing it. And of course, then he was welcome to the lying world of Elon. I've got Rome on the line. The Coliseum is open. Like, what? <laughs> like, he just says shit. And then everyone's like, yeah, like, give me a break. There's a famous expression from Hollywood, hello, he lied. So I just feel like maybe he's telling the truth, maybe he's not. I just wouldn't believe anything. And I think Mark was taken in in that regard. Linda Obst. Yeah, that was her that's line. right. Just yeah. to hello, he tip lied. our hats yeah. to her. It's a great line. So Silicon Valley is still very male and it's very white. Are tech bros and is that status quo a forever phenomenon? Yes. Sorry, what's going to change? What's changed in our society? Well, that's what I'm asking you. Like, what would change that? I don't know. I think our overall society is like that. Look at most of the attacks on women are led by men right now, like about abortion rights and everything else. I just, you know, as long as there's not equal numbers of women in power, and not every woman has to agree. There's a lot of anti-abortion activists who are women, some of the more powerful ones too. But, you know, it's just wherever you go, there you are. If you have one point of view and you're homogeneous about it, you're going to have one point of view. You're not going to reflect other people. And then you become less and less sympathetic. And you think your viewpoint is the only viewpoint. Now, we're all guilty of that, right? Every one of us is guilty of that. And we have to try really hard to get out of these silos that we have. And we don't because we're very comfortable in them. But when you have that much power and you do it, I think it's incumbent on you to reach across lines and not demonize people. And, and, you know, with all the power and influence and money Musk has, all he does is pick fucking fights all day. And all I can think of is what the hell is wrong with you? Like, how did you get this way? It's disappointing because of the good he could do. He obviously has skills, but instead he's decided that his lesser nature is the one he's going to feed. Kara, I always like to ask guests what they've learned from an event. If you think about watching the arc of Elon and Zuck's journeys, what have you learned? What have those things taught you? That power corrupts. It just does. It's such a cliche. It just does. Money and power corrupt. And you have to be a very strong personality to resist it. And there's so many great hopes of what tech could do. And instead of doing that, spending your time doing this seems sad. It really does. It seems sad to me. And, and there's so much potential to help people. There's so much potential to be kind. And unfortunately, where we've gotten is these people... Not all of them. I don't want to paint a broad brush, but a lot of them forgot why they came in the first place, which was a great love of tech like I have and others have and a great love of the possibilities. And my book's coming out in March. And at the beginning of it, I talk about a quote from Steve Jobs. I had this idea that you are either a Star Trek or a Star Wars person because, you know, tech people love 
sci-fi. And, you know, Star Wars is a very dark view of the universe where the evil often and regularly triumphs, right? That it's, everything's quite a dark vision, Star Wars is. It's not a hopeful vision in any way, if you really take it apart. And Star Trek is, is it's like a Benetton ad. We are going to get along. We're going to beat villains and villains are going to come on our side, in fact. You know what I mean? And it's a sort of a hopeful humanity it gets better and better and better. And we improve ourselves. And in Star Wars, it's not, you never know. The next episode might be the last and so there was an interview I did with Steve Jobs where he said, I want Star Trek. I wish we could get Star Trek. And I feel the same way. And we live in Star Wars. That's where we live now. And we've got Darth Vader's everywhere and not redeemable Darth Vader's, just Darth Vader's that stay that way. And so that's how I think about it. I just am really, I'm sorry. I want Star Trek too, I, you know, as Steve said. I want Star Trek too. We're out of time, Kara. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Tim, for a thoughtful conversation. I appreciate it. Kara Swisher is the host of the On With Kara Swisher and Pivot Podcasts, and she's an editor-at-large at New York Magazine. Next spring, she has a new book coming out, Burn Book, a tech love story. You can find her on Twitter, at Kara Swisher. Here at Crash Course, we believe that collisions can be messy, impressive, challenging, surprising, and always instructive. In today's Crash Course, I learned that Silicon Valley's tech bros may have a hammerlock on Silicon Valley's riches and its businesses longer than I expected. What did you learn? We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at the Bloomberg Opinion handle, at Opinion, or me, at Tim O'Brien, using the hashtag Bloomberg Crash Course. You can also subscribe to our show wherever you're listening right now, and please leave us a review. It helps more people find the show. This episode was produced by the indispensable Anna Mazarakis, Moses Andam, and me. Our supervising producer is Magnus Henriksen, and we had editing help from Sage Bauman, Katie Boyce, Jeff Grocott, Mike Nietzsche, and Christine Vanden Bylart. Blake Maples does our sound engineering, and our original theme song was composed by Luis Guerra. I'm Tim O'Brien. We'll be back next week with another Crash Course. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.